You're listening to the We Are Libertarians podcast network. Find all of our shows at wearelibertarians.com. You're listening to the We Are Libertarians network. Find all of our shows at wearelibertarians.com. All right, let's get back to some boring subjects. Understand the risk to our country. Freedom brings people together. You're listening to the We Are Libertarians Network. Learn more at wearelibertarians.com. Welcome to the program. My name is Chris Spangle. It's so good to have you here. We're going to review our predictions. You're not going to be able to tell Reinhold shit after this. Review uh, our predictions for 2020. Talk about what it all means. Talk about the voter fraud issue. Was this stolen from Donald Trump? We'll find out right after these words. Warning, this show is for adults, produced by semi-adults. So the language is sometimes strong and offensive. Uh, I don't know what I said. Uh. Welcome to We Are Libertarians, where our goal is to help you sound smarter while talking to your friends. We examine current events from a libertarian perspective while treating modern politics with all of the irreverence it deserves. There has been lie after lie. We toss out the screaming heads, put people before political parties, and give context to the news to make you think. Now, here's our host, a 15-year veteran of politics and media, Chris Spangle. Welcome to the program. It is so good to see you. We have... We're going to be judicious with our time, since Harry has to leave, but Harry is here. Harry, how are you today? Going good, going good. Oh, you sound so good. Yeah, I moved my uh, room around. I added some new stuff, so I actually can use most of my equipment. So, ah, very good. And then Reinhold, how are you? I'm doing okay. It's been a, a long, tiring, exhausting week, but I'm hanging in there. It's time to maybe get some re- relaxation this weekend. <laughs> Low energy, just like the president's speech the other night. <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> Boy, was that some weird shit. Uh, We'll get to it all in just a moment. Just want to uh, say thank you to our patrons. We're going to start there. Uh, Many nice notes, several nice notes from uh, folks appreciating our coverage over the election season. We worked really hard to get to this point, and we wouldn't be able to do it if it weren't for our patrons. So make sure you join at weirdlibertarians.com slash support or or patreon.com slash support. We are Libertarians. Thanks to Casey Feldposh, Brad Tracy, Anthony Meyer, Matthew Durbin, Jeff Bennett, Ryan Hold, Christy Avery, Jason Doolittle, and Ed Brehob for being a $100 a month contributors. We appreciate it very much. Well, uh, it has been a long week. It has been the never-ending election. And, and I think what people have missed is that we've gotten used to learning the election results in the first night. You know, it was pretty clear around 9.30 that Trump, the trends were going towards Trump and that he could win after North Carolina was called because it was expected to be a blowout. And then, you know, it wasn't a blowout. Uh, He, Donald Trump, won by almost the exact same amount of electoral votes in which Joe Biden will win with and won it in states that Trump won it by with the same margins as Donald Trump in 2016. And Donald Trump called that a landslide victory, signed his map for people, gave it to them. But this is somehow not a a, a real election. And we'll talk about the voter fraud stuff uh, in a moment. But, you know, 
perceptions being shaped by social media, I think, are the biggest story out of this election. Public opinion, I think, is the biggest um, topic of conversation because structurally there isn't a whole lot of difference to this outcome as there was in 2016. Uh, and some people have said that's because of polarization. I tend to think that it's because it's the, the 2016 election has never stopped. It has been a complete freezing of the electorate, and you just got the same results going the other way because fundamentally nothing has really changed since he came down that gold escalator. The media is obsessed with Donald Trump. Everybody has put him at the center of the universe. Relationships are now judged in some cases by what you think of Donald Trump, uh, and it's pretty obvious that America is not is done with it and moving on. But the initial perception on Tuesday was, even though we had talked about the Red Mirage on two or three shows, I forgot about it. And I'm just like, man, he's going to win again. Went to bed thinking he was going to win again. Woke up the next day thinking he was going to win again. And then it started to shift, and I'm just like, oh, yeah, the Red Mirage. I forgot about how all the – I forgot there was a pandemic going on and all the votes were counted. It really uh, is shaping up to be a completely different race once all the votes are counted. And let me say, this is totally normal. If you are, if you've run elections, if you have been involved in elections, if you look at your vote totals the day of, the night of, the next day, they're vastly different than what they are two weeks later. That always happens in every election in every single race because of the process of how votes are counted. Votes are, tally, are, are cast on election day. That's the day we vote. That's not the day we find out who won. We've just been really spoiled because of uh, work of IT work like Harry's. Uh, you know, there's projections. There's projections and, and uh, initial counts that come in on election night. And the way that those are typically counted is that you have the in-person vote, which is the walk in, push the button. You know, in mine, it was you walk in, you push the little touch screen, and then you, you print out your ballot. You put it into the, the Scantron machine. It counts it in the box. And then that box is taken to the clerk. All that's put in there. And then you start getting the returns. And as every county comes in, you start to build. And here in Indiana, Republicans always think it's a blowout early because all the rural counties with 20,000 people in it are, are coming in, and they're like, man, we're doing really well. And then Marion and Lake County start coming in, where there's a million people in each. And all of a sudden, the races start to tighten or they start to change. You know, For instance, Don Rainer at Water, we thought was getting 12% in the Libertarian uh, for Indiana governor race. He's now at about 14% because the, the numbers have totally changed. Now, absentee and mail-in ballots, those are counted initially by scanners. We talked about that on the voter fraud episode. If you listen to the two episodes about voter fraud and then also about what would happen if there was a tight presidential race, you didn't fall for a lot of the misinformation that was flying this past week. You were well-informed and you were helping your friends not freak out on either side. Uh, so that initial tally comes through, and those are put into those projected results. And then there's always problems with those, and so those get checked by teams of judges. Republicans and Democrats stand over the ballot. There's cameras around. There's journalists that are overseeing it. There's international watchers that are watching all that stuff, and they go through and they count the votes. 
you know, in, in some cases, and you may have seen the video, this was flying around there of teams of people. There was one lady holding a ballot, reading it to another guy, and he was marking it down. That's because they don't want to spoil the original ballot by marking that ballot. They're putting it into a machine by marking the other ballot so it can be counted in, in the, uh, the machine. And then they do a second run on those, so they check the signatures. And then there's uh, a chance in some states for people to uh, correct their ballot, so they're contacted and said, you can come and, and do what's called curing your ballot. And that, in Georgia, I think you had till Friday to do. Uh, and then all these numbers from the original precinct boxes plus the, the counts on the absentees are all put in. The absentees always are done after Election Day for the most part. It's just that there is such an overwhelming number. There was 100 million people that voted out of 150 million turnout that it, the job was way bigger than people expected. So it's just taking a lot longer. And then there's what's called the canvas where people go through and they double check all the math of all that stuff. So things like in Michigan where you saw Joe Biden got a mysterious 138,000 different votes and it's different on the election website, division website, than it is on Google. Well, that's because Decision Desk, which is the source for a lot of the media outlets um, like Politico, like The New York Times, they, they grab their, their API and they, it's, it's, a, it's like a service. You know, like Apple Podcasts is the API for podcast directories for like Downcast. Um, Decision Desk made an, a, a typo because typos happen all the time in, in, in all of these instances. And then they have to get corrected through the canvas. So numbers get readjusted all the time. So if you understand this process, and I understand it because I worked as a journalist and as uh, – um, a party official for a decade. I was a part of two recounts. The way that a recount works is they take all those ballots, you know, the initial scan of the ballots, that they go, all right, all these ballots are good. And it's usually like 99% of the ballots are good. And then there's the problem 1%, and you have to determine what's the intent of the voter. And so in a recount, literally a, a, a recount is Republicans and Democrat lawyers standing over, a judge is standing there, a judge or two, journalists are in the room. It's literally a room full of people standing over a ballot arguing over whether or not this is a valid ballot. Did they intend to vote for Donald Trump or Joe Biden because this person didn't cross their T, so obviously the signature doesn't match. You need to throw this ballot out. And then when it's the opposite party's ballot, they, they switch teams and start yelling at each other. I was involved in a recount that was uh, my candidate won by 14 votes and my candidate won by three votes. That's when recounts get really close. Recounts are not going to change 20,000, 1,000 votes. In Scott Walker's Wisconsin race, for instance, 100 votes flipped. Both times there were, were uh, close recounts there. Uh, I think it was like 800 votes flipped in the Minnesota Senate when Al Franken and Norm Coleman squared off. So... When you've got a gap, and the closest gap, I think the last one I saw was Georgia, and it was like seven, 8,000 votes, there's no way that's going to flip. And so, you know, watching these elections, seeing how this works, being a part of the process, uh, you know, serving, I was the uh, Help America Vote Act Libertarian Party representative on a state commission, and we were using federal money to purchase voting machines and 
learning how voting machines are secure and safe and how all this stuff works. I watch some of this stuff and I just go, people are, this is like the Covington kids. People are saying stuff and they don't know what they're talking about. They're just sharing whatever. And it's like, you know, the, the ballots in the cooler and then the cooler turns out to be camera equipment and like it just takes off and runs. It's been really crazy. And so uh, this is the one time Reinhold where public opinion about stuff just doesn't match how the process works. And if people understood the process, uh, it, it would it would be a lot cleaner. Yeah, I had an argument with somebody just um, yesterday who's like accusing me of gaslighting him because I'm explaining that that video where they're marking the ballots, that he just says that's not normal. That doesn't happen every election. I'm like, yes, it does. Go ask anybody who's worked these elections. This is how the process works. And he just will not accept it. That well, that's the, somehow. That's the crazy thing about it is that if this were all a giant conspiracy – Mm-hmm. You can join the conspiracy. You can literally go down to Allegheny County right now and watch the ballots being counted in Allegheny County. You can call your local county clerk and join the conspiracy. You can you can watch the live stream of your local county on on the vote counts. Like you know, libertarians, we are very suspicious of government and we need to be. Mm-hmm. There are times, though, where that gets in the way of facts and your gut feelings start to influence facts. And th- there, there is no – so a great example of this was Donald Trump's task force uh, where he, you know, he said that his election was stolen. Uh, he – where's the uh, – you know, Donald Trump – 2016 election, yeah. Yeah, he said that his uh, – his victory was was rigged. In addition, in uh, November 27, 2016, in addition to winning the Electoral College in a landslide, I won the popular vote if you deduct the millions of people who voted illegally. Well, so he starts this commission to prove that it was, uh, that he was defrauded. And in August 3rd, 2018, his, his commission had to disband because they couldn't find any fraud in the 2016 election. Uh, there was the Heritage uh, Foundation, which is a conservative think tank that we talked about in the voter fraud episode. They have two programs that they started. One lasted 20 years, counting, trying, they tried to prove voter fraud existed in a systemic way, and they found nothing. They couldn't find it. The reality is that this, that the counting of votes is an example of how libertarian systems work. Because there are 3,000 counties that have hundreds of volunteers involved, everything's controlled at the county level with oversight by the states in the federal system, you have such decentralization that there is literally no possibility for a systemic change in the presidential race. And, well, you say, okay, we'll go to the one or two districts that are going to be flips. How do you do that when the polls are eight points off? (laughs) Right. Like, how do you know what district it's it's Hayek's knowledge problem. It's the coordination problem. You you cannot centrally plan the rigging of a national election in America because of decentralization. Uh, And this is just part of the Republican ideology. Like Nixon legitimately had the race stolen from him in 1960 in Chicago and Texas. 
And so Nixon and Pat Buchanan turned voter fraud into a vendetta in the Republican Party. And over that 40, over that 60 years, they've corrected those problems. And so because of the, the stolen election in 60, the system is vast, vastly different than it was 60 years ago and much more secure. And you have things like voter ID. But the, the public opinion, the, the talking points, that stuff still exists, but it's disconnected with the way that things actually operate now. You know, and, and I'll put in the show notes the, um, just some of the examples. So if you want to go through, and I'll put in another podcast by The Dispatch that kind of walks through some of the stuff like the Wisconsin voter registration things. How do they have more voter registrations? Well, that particular one was voter registrations from the 2018 elections. And Wisconsin has voter, same-day voter registration. So you can walk in to vote and register the same day. They, they literally, the, the state election division had no idea how many people registered to vote, which is a problem in and of itself, but that's a systemic thing. So um, there are things like the uh, video that, the, the, that Uday and Kuse uh, tweeted out, 80 ballots burned in the video above. Well, those were fake ballots. They weren't real. Uh, Sharpie Gate mm. on October 24th. Maricopa County put out this video. Hey, everyone. Fill the ballot here. So this is two weeks, three weeks before the election, and Maricopa County is telling people in a video to use Sharpies to vote. Did you know you can use a black or blue pen or Sharpie to fill out your ballot in Maricopa County? The new tabulation equipment only reads the ovals, so bleed-throughs are not a problem. The new ballot style also has off-centered columns that don't allow for bleed-throughs to fill out ovals on the other side of the ballot. Okay, so what kind of conspiracy tells you that you can use the Sharpie before? And so one person (laughs) tweets out, that they're getting Sharpies and the, de- and the Biden people are getting pens and that's how they're throwing the ballots out. And that's taken as gospel when that's not the case. It, uh, there was the, um, the Wisconsin votes that everybody's seen the chart at this point where it ticks up. Well, mm-hmm. if you, uh, and this is kind of mean, but I'm going to, uh, to show it anyways, just for the sake of uh, kind of showing people this this common misinformation uh, or intentional disinformation, depending. Um, just so you know, like the little the, the Wisconsin spike, what happens in a lot of these states are um, little tick ups as bigger counties come in. And so you have a steady, uh, constant stream of I'm going to remove this. So, uh, so you have a constant stream of ballots being a- added, Reinhold. So as these bigger counties come in to upload the results, you have to stop the counting. And so counties to save time will just drop batches like they're doing in Nevada. And mm-hmm. so you have this big tick up every time. And the bigger the county, the urban areas, the bigger the jump. And guess what? Those are going 70, 80 percent of the time with Joe Biden. And if you look at the particular chart that everybody is freaking out about in Wisconsin, there's a 70% jump for uh, right here for Biden, and then Trump paces him at about 30% of the way, right? But when you drill down, you see that jump happens all the time. It happens consistently. It's just that that particular Wisconsin jump was selectively cropped to make it seem nefarious. So 
there isn't one instance that I can find of something happening that isn't easily explainable. The one thing that has sticking power that needs to be investigated is happening in Pennsylvania, which everybody's talking about. Um, things like ballots that don't have voter signatures or um, these ballots that came in past the election deadline that need to be segregated. The Supreme Court got involved in some of that. But the rest of the stuff where you find these little cherry-picked instances of problems, that happens all the time. Again, 3,000 counties, dozens of precincts, each county, hundreds of thousands of volunteers engaged in the election process on a single day. You're going to have problems. And so there is a remedy for that, and that is tossing ballots. In the primaries, there were 500,000 ballots that were rejected in the primaries. And that's because there's a remedy for nonsense, for errors, for all of it. So, uh, again, that decentralized process means that there will be errors because there isn't – it's humans, right? And there are going to be people with bad intent, and those people get arrested every single year. There's an instance in in an election where somebody gets arrested for intent to commit voter fraud. But we cannot go around assigning intent to what can be explained to – just error or humans harry yeah correct especially with the season of covid like there's going to be some arrest of some people either voting in a district they moved out of because they left because they went to their parents house in covid and they voted either there or back in their spot that's probably going to happen but those are going to be very small percentages of the tick points and those are going to be people who oops i'm sorry i messed up you know right it, it, it almost probably would have happened to me this year if i didn't really you know get out to have to redo my license because technically i was voted in um, i was registered to vote one county then i moved during all this crap so right you know people are talking derek derek writes uh veritas has one story about a postal worker that overheard a discussion about backdating late ballots and that's their big proof well that's pretty flimsy yeah there's flimsy proof of all of this stuff and so we you cannot let your natural biases overtake and draw conclusions on information until you've looked into it. You know, I learned my lesson with the the Covington kids and just assuming that kid was a Trump supporter. Like, mm-hmm. I'm going to hang back. I'm going to wait. I'm going to do my research. And that's a big part of why this show is totally different is because of the Covington kids. I don't – and a lot of this stuff, for the people who constantly are complaining about the veracity of the mainstream press – the right-wing press did exactly what Donald Trump wanted them to do. This entire process was outlined. It was so obvious that we did a show about it all, over three weeks ago. <laughs> so if you are in elections and you understand how elections lurk, work like those around Donald Trump do, you know with the pandemic there's going to be a lot of mail-in ballots you know that there's always going to be little cherry-picked pieces of of problems. You know that your people are conspiratorial and there are networks to push this this information and to have it validated by the right-wing press and right-wing blogs. You know that this is going to be a slow build from Donald Trump winning to the Blue Mirage. Campaigns have massive amounts of data to, uh, to see where trends are at. And it was obvious two months ago that mail-in ballots were going to be largely blue because Democrats take 
this the pandemic much more seriously than Republicans do. So we started deleveraging mail-in ballots, saying they were a fraud, to build the case that Democratic votes weren't shouldn't be counted. And so he's he told us that he was going to create this period between uh, December 18th when the electors are selected and Election Day, the interregnum, of fog, of confusion, of fraud, of it's all stolen from me. And I, for the life of me, can't understand how people fell for something that was so clearly articulated by the president. Uh, You tell me. I I don't – I get being suspicious, but at the same time, your suspicions need to be backed up by proof. And even Lindsey Graham, who has subjugated himself to this president like few other Republicans have, has said to the president, put up or shut up. Like there was a – uh, there was one court case uh, where the uh, the the guy went before the judge, mm-hmm. and it was the one where the ballot in Pennsylvania where ballot uh, observers were not allowed in, right? Uh, and so you saw the pizza boxes in Michigan being put up on the windows, right? So the p- yeah. the, the pizza boxes that's because there were a lot of cameras starting to build and we have secret ballots and so they didn't want the cameras and that that happens in the two recounts that i was a part of in the place that recounts are done in the room it's a secure room and then there are curtains that are drawn at certain points so Mm -hmm. people don't see the ballots but the people who are in on counts have gone through security clearances or have who or, or are volunteers who have been a part of the process they're not just joe public you know, there it, it's like surgery. You're not just allowed to walk in, but you can sit up in the in the gallery. Uh, and so observers weren't allowed into this one particular place in Pennsylvania. And this has been a big source of controversy for Republicans. And they went before the judge, presented their evidence. And the judge asked how many Republicans were actually on the scene that witnessed the fraud. And the lawyer said, well, the number is non-zero. And the and the judge goes, so you mean there was nobody from your side that was there and you're bringing hearsay before the court? Yes. Again, it was non-zero. And the and the judge goes case dismissed. But what Trump has always done is use mm-hmm. lawsuits to uh, to Im- he uses the system to reinforce a certain piece of of information even if it gets tossed. That initial news you can't put that horse back in the barn. And so a lot of these lawsuits get tossed out by Republican judges because there isn't any there there. There isn't any solid information. And the problem for Trump moving forward is that courts are inherently conservative. They act like referees in the NFL. They referees in the NFL, if you bring a, a, a penalty, uh, throw a yellow flag or a red flag, excuse me, I'm not uh, sportsy. Uh, you throw <laughs> yellow flags, red flags, that crappy football from Europe. Right. And you can't fight a red flag. You get a red card. You're out. Exactly. So the red flag's flown. The judges go over to the, to the tape. And the standard is we're going to uphold the ruling on the field unless there's overwhelming evidence that this wasn't the case. And so without overwhelming evidence of fraud, days after, and I, I saw some Republican um, 
strategist basically saying, if there is significant voter fraud, you have to capture it that day. You have to capture it as it's happening. Because if you don't, then everything gets obscured. And so because there was nothing significant that came out of Election Day, despite the entire party looking for it, mm-hmm. there's really not much evidence of voter fraud. And so as they file these lawsuits, they're going to get bounced because there, there isn't enough evidence within the actual filings to justify moving forward. The one legitimate one is in Pennsylvania. Essentially what happened is a vendor misprinted the ballots and sent them out. They realized the mistake, and then the ballots were resent on a different colored paper. I think it was orange. Mm-hmm. And then there are ballots, and, and all those have been separated through the process. There are some Republicans saying that the, the, the clerk or the secretary of state and some clerks did not properly separate those ballots, but uh, the, that's hearsay at this point, so it remains to be seen. And they went back to the Supreme Court, and Judge Alito said— Yes, make sure you separate those ballots. And so there's going to be some ballots that are um, in question there, but it should Mm -hmm. be fairly easy to add them to the count or not because this person sent in two ballots. Here's the corrected one. Here's the non-corrected one. And does that get tossed out? And are there enough of those ballots to really change the race? And if it does change the results in Pennsylvania – Joe Biden still won Nevada, Arizona, and Georgia, and lost North Carolina, right? So mm-hmm. the electoral college probably will not change. There was one on the left. The left was doing it too, uh, where in, I think it was Gwinnett County, there was uh, 40,000 ballots that were supposedly destroyed. They were not destroyed. But what is happening is people tweet something, post it to their Facebook wall, something that they personally saw on a, lo- on a local level, and then that gets retweeted retweeted till somebody who works at a blog a blog mill a, a post mill like uh, mm-hmm. raw story or um, daily caller or one of these left or right blog mills that's when it then catches on fire across the spectrum in, in that group and then it and then it becomes significant and so all of this is has been understood all of this has been watched for there all of this has been uh, baked into the cake so to speak and really where we're at now is that everyone's trying not to hurt Donald Trump's feelings. Uh, Reinhold, are you there? Okay, I don't know if uh, if he – I'll just – He probably got droned. It's okay. Yeah, he, he got droned. So – Yeah, um, but the thing – Go ahead, One Harry. thing I wanted to say was there's a lot of things that are also happening in the process could just be laid to like a mass in the system, like to the post office and the dating process thing. That is an influx of mail at a time when the post office isn't meant to have that mail. They don't have all the temporary workers as they usually have. Yeah, they can sp- they, they ramp up during their busy season to do Christmas packages, but they have they bring a lot of people in to help them do that. This voting season, they saw a lot of those mail in ballots coming in, and that ramp up was there in a lot of areas. But you know, it's kind of hard to like to judge for because you didn't know. So. Were ballots probably post date a day prior? Yeah, because they probably be received them, but they probably couldn't process them all in time. Yeah, you know, things like yeah. that happen in warehouses. You know, yeah, sorry. No, go just ahead. Wanted to bring that up. It just, it's just you know, there's other things that happens in, in the process. You know, uh, it's that no one else is like understanding the human element. It's why in a lot of um, 
everyone's job. They try to automate things. They don't automate things to get out of doing like a bunch of work or like try to eliminate jobs. It's more of a, we're trying you eliminate the more you eliminate the human element out of it, the easier it is to wipe out the, the mistakes. So if you have like this one kernel of truth, which is the, the other ballot and that everything just pulls from that truth, it's easier to keep, keep everything straight. So just writing down at each time. It yeah. stops the errors. Well, there's no one system. So there are industry standards. Right. You, you know, my ballot in my county was different than the way you voted. I mean, did you vote? Mm-hmm. I, 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 it was something like easy vote. Um, I can see if I can find the picture of how, how it all looked. Um, yeah. the, how how did small, you vote? The small town that I, I live in, um, it was still, they printed it out right there on the spot. Um, I had to walk into the community center and it was, and I was giving a pen, not a Sharpie. Okay. <laughs> right. And we just went to the thing. And you just filled in a little Scantron oval and you, and you, and they put it in the machine. I didn't get to use the fancy machine, the fancy push button. Yeah. We, I, we used to do that. Now we do this. And so here is my ballot for all you people who think that I'm some secret Biden supporter. I voted for uh, Joe Jorgensen, and I voted for Donald Rainwater, and I voted for a Republican for Attorney General. Uh, he's the one who appointed me to that statewide commission. I've got to stay loyal, and and he's going to be better. He will be much better on COVID lockdowns and not locking us down than the Democrat. So, so you That's go true. in and you That's do this little touch screen thingy, and you you know s- select your candidates. Then it has you verify your selections, and then you go through. And again, here. Three more Republican votes and a no vote, Democrat mm-hmm. votes, all that. And then it prints out this piece. You can all watch all this on YouTube if you want to see it. Uh, and, you know, voted for none of the judges. Vo- mm. And I always vote against the party in power. So for uh, county, it's always Republicans for local township boards, Democrats. Um, you know, and then you print this out and then this piece of paper goes in. But my point is that. There's tons of different voting systems. There are industry standards and standardized election laws, but that decentralization is a really good thing, and that keeps us safer in terms of our vote. And safe votes are really important, and getting the counts right are really important because the end result is the ability to point the gun of government at the other guy's head, at, at somebody's head. And so you better get it right and better keep it safe. And the more you centralize it, the more it is easy to be tampered with. And right. so this is actually a great example of why we need limited government, why we need local government to be in charge, because it's much easier for it to mm-hmm. be safe, secure, easily uh, understood, easily interacted with. You can go and volunteer for your clerk. This is a great time for libertarians to make that case instead of sounding like Alex Jones, Harry. Correct, yeah. And that's one thing on the liberty, liberty message is like that decentralization, many different systems, different choices of different systems, because you at your county level, if you don't like your voting system or that, and you think the county should buy new voting machines or have different record, or you like that printout that Spangle got, and your county didn't do that. Well, guess what? You could just show up and get that exact same system yeah. or a better system, a different system. And it's one it's the ability to experiment with all these different counties to find the best method you and have all this. And it's it is it's neat and it just it blows your mind why like why can't everything else be like this? Oh no, yeah. no, we gotta centralize and do all this. Well, we gotta correct. centralize it so we know the results on election night or the day after. 
But we got to get rid. No, and, and give, we got to get rid of the McDonald's mentality. You don't need it correct. today. Have some patience. Delayed gratification is a good thing for society. Calm down. You're going to make mm-hmm. everything less secure if it takes longer to count this stuff. Um, yeah, and this this Facebook users, the arguments for local control of voting is the same argument for social programs and education. Exactly. Here in Indiana, we have township trustees. They give short-term assistance funded by the taxpayers, and in a county of 500,000 people here in the state, 900 people in 2010 asked for assistance, and 200 people got it. Because the township trustee is able to walk, to drive over and go, yes, this person needs their light bill paid. Yes, this person is out of work and they legitimately need, need, need this assistance or that assistance. It's highly personalized. And then, uh, then the help is cut off. It's not a long-term program, but it is a short-term piece of uh, localized welfare. And it's hard to game the system. Because they walk in and they go, well, you have a brand new car, a brand new TV, start selling some stuff. You don't get any taxpayer money. Uh, and that's much different than the bureaucracy of federalized welfare or st- even state welfare, where the further away from the citizen, the interaction of government between the government and the citizen, the more corruption there is, the less effective it is, the more uh, the harder it is to change. Local control of government at, and anything that it does is good. And if you live in a ta- and if you live in a township that you think is uh, too free with your money, you can move to a state that has no townships, or you can move to the township over, or you can run for township trustee and try to change that system. And it's easy because you can knock on every door in a trustees race. You can talk to every single voter in your trustees race. You can't get a meeting with Representative Andre Carson. Uh, so local control is really where we need to go, and we need to – I mean, the, the system's too big. It has to break apart. We'll talk about nullification at some point. Um, final thoughts on voter fraud before we move on to the next thing. If you're really into debunking all this stuff, check out the links in the show notes. Reinhold, your thoughts? Yeah, I think there's a lot of uh, just wild accusations because people want that to be what's going on because they can't find any other way to explain how they lo- are losing. Mm-hmm. So it must be there. It must be fraud. They're stealing it from us, you know. And it's, it's like, adopting the the it's adopting the psychology of the person at the top of mm-hmm. the movement. It's it's very culty when you have no evidence and you he tells you everyone else is lying and you just believe it in the face of well, all available evidence that's cultish behavior yeah and he primed it 2 months ago he was saying <laughs> he that was, the only way i can lose is they steal it from me if they cheat and that's why you shouldn't be doing mail in ballots cuz they're going to cheat right and it's like there's no evidence anywhere of it and every 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 instance that's come up is just like oh well that's this and then people just go well you know you're you're just trying to cover for them you have Trump derangement syndrome. Yeah, I just pro- show me the proof. It's all. I had somebody saying that. Well, the FEC. Somebody told me the FEC was coming out and saying that they're going to investigate. And I'm like, well, first of all, the FEC can't do anything because they don't have a quorum because Donald Trump wouldn't fill this the stinking um, vacancies that were on the court anyway or on that commission. So they have no power. And if they are saying this, show me. Any link 
of any evidence of anybody in the FEC saying anything. And I just get silence because they can't show it to me because they've heard it from a rumor from somebody else who heard it from somebody else who invented it. Yeah, well, it, listen, the uh, the re- a big part of the reason that this vote is taking so long is because Republicans uh, – why is Michigan waiting? This is a Michigan, Michigan newspaper. Why is Michigan waiting? State law bars early counting of absentee votes. So why did the state of Michigan not count the votes, the absentee votes, until after Election Day? Because Republicans made it that way this year. How Trump loyal uh, – ABC News, why Pennsylvania is still counting votes after Election Day. Uh, That's because Republicans changed the laws there, too. And so at every level, again, going back to the episode that we did, you would have known this. If you listened to that episode, you would have heard all this three weeks before it happened. So you'd be skeptical of any of these claims. The Republican strategy this time was to keep people from voting. So it would drive down his numbers because they saw the trend towards Biden in a lot of these swing states. And they have been actively preparing to throw out whole blocks of votes in effort to keep these close races from tilting Biden's way. And they focused on the absentee ballots. Notice they're not challenging Election Day votes. In all these news stories, Republicans and Trump are challenging absentee and mail-in votes. That's why he always focused on it. Because there's a 70% chance they're going to be Biden voters. They're going to be inner city voters. You know, yeah, he read wants the them to keep voting in Arizona. He has no problem with that going on, right? Because his, his sh- loss is narrowing. Well, that so was the funny should... part, right? Like, he yeah, literally. He's like, well, I trust the governor of Arizona because he's, you know, that, that's, that was his statement. But not he, in he Georgia. <laughs> yeah, no, Georgia, not them, not Philadelphia. And what's funny is that the, the laws to allow like certain absentee ballots and have a more open process on mail-in ballots was a deal that the Republicans made in order to get rid of um, straight ticket voting in Pennsylvania. Yeah, right? the, so they wanted it gone, and the Democrats said, well, "Okay, we'll get rid of it, but we want to have you know this mail-in voting cha- laws changed." So they revamped the system. And that was the deal that they made. Yeah, so here is in it's this is in Michigan and Maricopa County. If that sounds discordant, that's because in Maricopa County they were uh saying uh stop the vote and in Michigan they were saying count the vote. <laughs> <laughs> So the president's official strategy per his campaign a couple mm-hmm. days ago was the count must continue in Arizona and uh, it must stop in Pennsylvania. It must continue in Nevada, but it must stop in Georgia. Well, I, I mean, it just becomes hard to take a lot of this seriously when it's so nakedly obvious that, uh, well, oh, you know, but Hillary didn't. Uh, accept the election Stacey Abrams didn't accept the election it's a lot different when you've lost and you're not in power mm-hmm. and you're salty about losing it's another thing when you're actively trying to undermine the vote so you can stay in power you're trying to toss people's ballots out so you can maintain political power and to what end because you're just you're if you the Russiagate thing if you thought that you were a lame duck because of the Russiagate stuff which 
30% of the country bought into, uh, then you're, you're going to have 70% of the country thinking you're an illegitimate president if you try to cheat your way in. And right. the other thing too is not you know not to defend Hillary that much because I'm not really a big fan of her either, but they lost Michigan by ten thousand votes. Right. They didn't call for a recount. They yeah. lost Wisconsin by twenty thousand votes. They didn't call for a recount. Jill Stein did in Wisconsin, but Hillary camps didn't. They just said, "Okay, we accept the vote." You know. Um. So let's, uh, Harry. Any final thoughts on this issue? I think the only way we could probably, if there was any voter like Matt, like mass voter fraud that actually did swing this election, has to come down to like a big theory that gets kind of brought around, which has come down to a standalone complex. Many individual Biden supporters are somehow all working to not working together, but all trying to swing the votes for Biden, but never none of them are working together. So it's, it does it in very small ways. See, that's where you put the tinfoil hat on. <laughs> that's the only way it could probably work. But that's about it. And also, if you think Reinhold had Trump derangement syndrome, because he did, uh, just wait till he just roasts Biden for the next four years. It's going to be even better. <laughs> I did tell Obama for eight. And the yeah. other thing, too, is if you're going to cheat, let's say you are going to go with massive voter fraud and take the chance of getting caught with – all the people watching and the cameras going and everything filmed. If you're going to do it, why not do it in a way that you matched the polling and mm-hmm. win by a larger amount, a safer amount? Why yep. would you try to squeak it by on the little onesie twosies and make it right. this close? My, right. Yeah. but And that's, let me show you this data here. Sorry to cut you off, Harry, but this is from Wisconsin um, and this is a, a Republican that I follow, Justin Hart. Uh, in Wisconsin, 49,000 people voted for a Republican House candidate down ballot, but did not vote for Trump. Meanwhile, 64,000 people voted for Biden and did not vote for a Democratic House candidate. Um, 14,000 people did not vote for a House candidate and just voted for president. And the way that it works is if you go look at, at any set of election results, people vote at the top of the ticket, and as the count of votes, it, it dwindles as you go down because people know who they want to vote for president, but they don't know anybody else, so they just vote for that. So it's very unusual for a top-of-ticket person to have a, a disparity for a congressional or Senate candidate to get more votes than the presidential candidate. And you see that in Joe Biden's votes where he's getting 64,000 more votes than the total House vote. Mm -hmm. Donald Trump's getting 49,000 less than the total House vote in Wisconsin. He's getting less than a lot of these senators. And if you look at a lot of these, uh, if you do this in any state, you get some of the same result. And it's because people defected from Donald Trump. And if you're going to just create ballots, why would you give a narrower – path in the house to democrats give the senate to the republicans and 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 basically hamstring your your president that you just cheated for you know and and if you were throwing ballots out in mass quantities because you're a volunteer that's just pocketing those votes on a mass scale you're not going to see this disparity in the votes i mean so and this is not just wisconsin it's happening across the country well, Democrats are stupid, right? Right. I mean, how? Isn't that, isn't that the <laughs> yeah. How yeah. could they just not think of this also, when we consider? Didn't think it, it through. 
Well, the thing is, yeah, if a voter fraud did like could happen, would exist, you know, I'm sorry, Nice would have showed us how to do it, and you know, LP would want, you know, want everything. So, <laughs> so just say it. <laughs> listen, I, you know why I'm a libertarian uh, and not a Republican and not a conservative. It's because in 2008, I'm a reporter. I'm sitting there at the, the Republican state convention, and uh, I am sitting here. This woman comes up crying to me, and I go, what's wrong? And she goes, I'm a Ron Paul delegate. They've kicked us all out. Now, I wasn't a Ron Paul fan at this point. I was There's audio of me making fun of him on the air at that point as a crackpot. Turns out I was right. Uh, and it like I'm going... What do you mean? She goes, 300 Republican delegates were just kicked out of the party. The Republican Party, and I've had this confirmed from some of the, mo- the biggest insight. Like, I have one friend who is a direct mail consultant for the GOP, the national GOP, worked on Romney's campaign. Good friend, very powerful person. And he goes, it was the biggest mistake we ever made kicking those delegates out. Because in 2012, they came back stronger, and there were 600 of them. And then we kick them out of that one, too. So if Republicans are going to cheat in their own convention and violate election law, what makes you think that they're the good guys in all this? And I'm not saying that Democrats don't try to cheat because I'm positive they do. There's a reason voter security and voter fraud is an issue. Again, 1960. I'm sure that anybody who wants political power on some level tries to commit voter fraud, but... That's done at the at the gerrymandering level. It's done in the election. It, it, it's done in the state house. I mean, in the governor's race. It, it's they draw the districts to exclude people like you and me from getting anywhere close. They they create ballot access laws. It, mm-hmm. Donald Trump has fascist tendencies, but fascists don't run elections that they know they're going to lose. They've rigged the system to already win. Like if, they try to, at least. You're right. If you know, just because you're not a successful fascist doesn't make you're not mean you're not one. But you got to remember what happened. You understand what happened with um, Judge Sullivan and the joy for the postal service is that Sullivan gave him an order to go sweep the post offices to find any votes and get them into the system and postmark before election day, and they were like. 600,000 here and 600,000 one day and you know that they were trying to catch and the joy basically told uh, this federal judge no nah, I'm not going to do that yeah so Dar- I don't know how he's not in jail yet <laughs> our, our but- good friend our good friend Darla it's sad libertarians don't think there's not a chance of voter fraud not saying that there is just to dismiss it as silly and galt says they say they didn't cheat in every race in every state they must not have cheated at all it's not what I'm saying saying that the the claim that Donald Trump lost this election because of systemic voter fraud is bullshit. There's no evidence for it, and you can't find it. There are people that get arrested for voter fraud. Mm-hmm. It, it does happen, right? And those people get caught because there is election security. If you think that the last 50 minutes of this program sound insane, I want you to go volunteer. I want you to be a part of the system. Because you're going to see it's much different than the way your friends on Facebook talk about it. And I'm sorry that most of you are ignorant of how this works. And I'm not trying to be condescending. It's just that most of you don't have experience with this. And the president is lying and propagandizing you to play on that ignorance to maintain power. 
And the fact that all of you free thinkers like Galt and Darla here have fallen for it really bums me out because the evidence, if you go look for it on, for systemic voter fraud on a mass scale that could overturn a presidential election, Republicans have been trying to find this evidence forever. It doesn't exist. The president was in power and couldn't find it with his election commission. It just doesn't like I'm not saying voter fraud doesn't exist in individual cases, but those individual cases do not show a systemic problem. Republican, liberal, independent think tanks have all done research on this. Common Cause, Brookings, the Heritage Foundation. The evidence is all here if you want to look at it. But if you want to be a, a truther and ignore evidence to, for the comfort of your own conspiracy theories, I can't help you. I can lead you to the water. I can't make you drink. Hold on. Is that, I'm going to see if that domain is free right now. I mean, we should buy that the 2020 voter truther. We just start this conspiracy clickbait website. We'll just ride this for four years. It'd be great. Right. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. I mean, you, people want to hear what they want to hear and you can't convince them otherwise, no matter how much like Chris Galt, there's tons of evidence all being scrubbed off the internet. Dave Dave Smith even talked about voter fraud with Michael Malice. Okay, I mean, what, what's the, what, what's the what's quote? The, is what's that you the, can't the voter evidence again, right here. You on this can't drive. convince anybody right uh, with reason to change their view for any view that they did not come to through reason. Right, and just because somebody says it on a podcast, it doesn't make it true. It's why we show our even work this here. One. Yeah, why we, this one. There is no podcast that gives you more of how we came to our conclusions than anybody else because you all don't trust anybody, which is good. You shouldn't until you start trusting people just because it feels good. What are you doing here? I'm scrubbing, scrubbing the evidence the of the uh, voter fraud off the Internet. That's how you do it, right? <laughs> right. Scrubbing it, scrubbing it off well, magically. The group of Trump supporters that got in front and got out and were protesting Arizona. Um count the, the guy right in front in the picture was wearing a, a part of the problem t-shirt oh yeah, yeah that was screaming the, for trump uh, yeah. dave had a great retweet of that he, he just wrote oh lord <laughs> it's really funny i laughed at that um all right so let's move on let's move on to our predictions um you know i don't know why you guys don't believe us because we're always right uh you this is the first show where you heard about isis You'd, nobody was talking about ISIS. We talked about it a year before anybody else. We do. Uh, we spend hours a show researching this stuff, uh, and I don't get it. We're we're always Reinhold. You didn't really even care who won. You just wanted to be right. And when you look at your map, um, uh, so I, I'll, I'll go first. Uh, so I was right about. Wisconsin and Michigan and Arizona, Nevada. I was right about Florida. I was wrong about North Carolina. I was right about Georgia. And I was wrong about Pennsylvania. And I said uh, Biden would have 300 electoral votes. You, uh, you were much more right. You got Pennsylvania right and you got North Carolina wrong, but you got, you got everything right but North Carolina, did you not? The, well, the jury's still out on North Carolina. No, I'm still holding out hope that I will be 100% right, <laughs> you, you but care. I you accept, you, you love I being accept right. that that may not happen. <laughs> yeah, 
So, uh, <laughs> and you know, all the Lions guys were like, "You can't believe the polls, Brosif." And we're like, "It's it's Wednesday morning. Give it a week." Because we ended up being a lot more right than they were. I I will say this about that. I think that we were off and they were off. They were wrong and we were wrong on polling stuff. Oh, one hundred. How this was going to go. I think I I'm trying to you know a lot of people are going to say well you just can't trust polling anymore. The problem is is that you've never been able to really trust polling to be perfectly right. There's always things if you go back and look at the history of polling for the presidential elections. The the anomalies of this year and 2016 are normal for the most part. You had we had some good decades in the 60s and 70s, maybe where we were a lot more on point. But polling is hard because you don't know what the turnout's going to be. And this year was so indicative of that. There was so much turnout this year that nobody even possibly anticipated. Trump did an amazing job getting his people out. I heard from I multiple. Was, I was impressed of that. Oh, yeah. 50,000 people in Pennsylvania. I think we talked about like that was a significant achievement. You know, the the excitement on both sides really drove drove the turnout way up. The the thing about polling is that it was it was eight points. It was like 16 points off in places like Michigan and Wisconsin. You still if you if you were kind of watching the trends and looking at it, you got maps like we got. You got close. You saw where races were competitive. Was it a conspiracy to defraud Donald Trump, and was it voter suppression, as Donald Trump says? No, because the Republican internal polling in all these Senate races, the Republican internal polling in congressional races, and in the president's own internal polling, all matched what was in the public polling. And so if it's a conspiracy, you'd think that the people that the Republicans are hiring are going to have different data. It's just that it's groupthink. It's that when an industry has decided this is how you do things, people travel together kind of in that in that fellow traveler style of doing things the same way, and you don't want to be the outlier because if your Ann Selzer showing up with a poll in Iowa that's 24 points different than the poll that's in Minnesota, you're going to be called a, a, a you know, your poll's just wrong. You're just wrong. Like all everybody did to her after she released that Iowa poll a couple of days before the election. Well, it turns out she was really right. But most people don't want to be outliers within their own industry. They don't want to be made fun of like Trafalgar and Rasmussen are made fun of. Uh, Trafalgar and Rasmussen were more right in some of these trends in 2016 than they were wrong. It's just everybody looked at them and said, well, you're just Republicans, which they are. They're Republican polling firms. Um, So if you looked at the polls, you got a general sense of the trend of where things were going. But like everything else, this needs to be a single piece of data as you're analyzing something. It can't be the only piece of data. When you look at Pennsylvania and you look at the turnout at some of these rallies that like people want to dismiss that and say, oh, well, it doesn't matter that Biden is getting six people or no people and Trump is getting 50,000 like that does that should have some effect. But you also have to look at other all these different factors like the money factor. The excitement for donating, like some of these races, like hundred and over a hundred million in the North South Carolina race, the you know ninety million in the Kentucky race for the Democrats, the ninety seven percent registered at in, in Austin, Texas, in Democratic areas, but then you started to see registrations like we talked about in the last episode in Pennsylvania. 
you, you, you have to look at all these various little factors to try and make determinations. If you just look at the polls and go, Biden's going to win, that's where, that's where we got it wrong, was thinking that it would be... Um, uh, it, it's not that it wasn't a blowout. Like, it's a pretty significant margin. Like, if you look at... Uh, hold on. Add to stream. You know, right now... Um, you know, when you look at the gaps in some of these other races, for instance, in 2016, uh, I wish I'd pulled up the right thing, but I'll find the differences on a better website. But when you look at historical presidential records, the difference between, you know, percentages, Joe Biden's not going to have that much of a difference in percentage between Barack Obama and more than George Bush. He, he's going to have the same amount, essentially, of electoral votes as Donald Trump, like everybody's perception on that first night is not holding up days later once you start counting all of these absentee ballots. Uh, anybody can talk now. I, I paused <laughs> to let you talk. I, well, mean, I thought you were a, for something. But, a radio show. Yeah, um, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we're professionals here. Uh-huh. We've got to be, we've got to be on it. Mm-hmm. No, I don't know the the uh, we there were some trends lines that I was seeing that were sh- kind of yelling, "Hey, you got to look at this," but I didn't get them. I didn't get them in an interpreted the right way, exactly right at the end, right. So there were a lot of new registrations coming in for the GOP. The GOP was doing a great job of getting out new registrations. Mm-hmm. Um, but the Democrats were doing it too. And you can't poll that. You can't really judge based off that. And when you've right. got a lot of, uh, a lot of new variants going on in, in the election, like this one had polling becomes less accurate. There's just no way you can capture it all. Right. So that's mm-hmm. the, people have this mindset that the, well, the polls were wrong. Well, the polls told us a lot of information. But you can't rely on them to be the single source. If that were the case, we would just take the polls and we wouldn't have the vote, right? So the vote's always going to be off. Um, I mean, like I was doing some research for um, something I'm putting together, and it was like it's like the history of polling. And there were like 12, 14-point swings back in the 40s and stuff that people were – in the presidential races, the polling was just off that much because they hadn't refined a lot of things. So – it's always taking what's going on. What did we do wrong last time? Let's fix it. 2018 polling was really dead on. It was really pretty good. Other than Florida. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, but 2016 was bad. And then 2020 mm-hmm. is bad. So how, how is that? You, people have to go and look at that. And, and um, so, so you should never like say, well, the poll says this, therefore that's the way it's going to be. Cause that's never going to happen. Cause they're never right. That, that well. Not that right. It's impossible in this day and age with the phone call, with nobody like the polls thirty years ago when people had landlines you could get mm-hmm. you, you had better ways to reach people. It's just not right. it's not mm-hmm. the same now. You know if you look at the percentages, uh, Biden's going to have around fifty to fifty one percent. Barack Obama had fifty two point nine forty five for John McCain. Uh, you go to back to 2004, G- George Bush won by 50.7. Kerry had 48.3. Uh, 
Uh, that's pretty close to what it's going to be. It was. It felt like a very close election, but election day, it was not mm-hmm. close. It didn't feel close, and it's the same result as now. It's just that it feels close because it took a week. Uh, right. Barack Obama had 51.1% in 2012, um, 47.2. You know, and that again, that's kind of around where Joe Biden is at. It's it's sort of uh, it's just a weird thing where it feels way different in terms of a result because of how long it took. And so, if if the polls show you a snapshot of two weeks before, which is where, like, if you look at a poll. So and this is another thing to keep in mind because we talked about this. I wrote about this at chrisspangle.com, which you should go check out. Um, how can Donald Trump win? Because Donald Trump, af- Donald Trump stopped the bleeding on that second debate. Uh, you know, he, you know, I wrote about this. So after that second debate, he stopped that bleeding and he really started to drill in on his message uh, in some respects, he uh, his surrogate started to do a better job. I guess he focused on Fauci and some of this other dumb stuff. But his surrogate started to focus on the socialism. They started to focus on uh, the tax stuff. They started to, to focus on all the ways that Joe Biden will be a bad president. And that mm-hmm. tightened the poll. So if you take a poll two weeks before Election Day, when when you take a poll, there, there's a one- to two-week period, about a 10-day period, where they're – calling people trying to reach people you know you're doing it in mid-october before the second debate and then you still have two weeks to go for election day the poll gets tabulated and put out a week before the election well you're two weeks old and if trump it remember feeling in the two weeks before this election that donald trump was starting to close the gap and people started on the left to get nervous about Trump closing the gap and there's, oh my God, there's 50,000 people in the Seltzer poll and all this. you know So the polls may not have been as off as people think. It's that Donald Trump's campaign may have closed the gap with a lot of those undecideds. And I think once you kind of break it all out in the exit polls, you're going to see people started to go, uh, I'm going with him, I'm not going with Biden. And I, don't, and I also think, not for nothing, the fact that Joe Biden looks so frail and the fact that Joe Biden, there, there, there's like a lizard brain thing to it, right? Like, I don't, I don't like Donald Trump, but there's something about Joe Biden. How often do you see your Facebook friends say, you know, I just don't, he's kind of old and I don't want Kamala Harris. Like, you know, Donald Trump's out there barnstorming the country. So some of that stuff can, can have an effect too. So you always have to remember a poll is a snapshot of a period of time. And things can wildly change between the time the poll is taken and the time the poll is even released. So, again, mm-hmm. it's all just a data point. And, and even that polling, if you were watching it the, the days, the two or three days before the election, you were starting to see Trump's numbers rising, right? And that was kind of indicative of people starting to make their decision and, and switch over. But that was a couple weeks, like you said, a week or two out when they were actually getting polled for that. So you could see the trend lines, but it wasn't showing up hard enough to make the pollsters kind of adjust it, for it. It, it was a lot softer. Yeah, it was a lot was softer there. in 2016, which we so. talked about. Um, so which is why it's not close. You know, it, it it's not a uh, Joe Biden's out there saying he has a mandate. Nancy Pelosi saying he has a mandate. He does not have a mandate. 
Uh, mm, they <laughs> Trump, but that's you know, right. same thing, right? Yeah, right. But it's it's as listen, you expect Donald Trump to say whatever, right? Like you expect him not, but like Joe Biden, if you're going to run as the decency candidate, you can't go out there and say we're going to throw the bum out, the trespasser out. You can't. If you're going to be the decency candidate. You can't. You're going to be on the left, and you've preached decency for five years. You can't dance on this grave. Like, you can't be AOC and put lists together of people who work for Trump, and we're never going to let these people exist in society again. Like, you can't do that stuff, if, especially if your argument was, we're the decent side and they're not. You know, mm-hmm. because you expect Donald Trump to say, I won in a landslide. I expect Joe Biden to not say he has a mandate. I expect Joe Biden not to say he won in a landslide. Yeah. You know what I mean? There's different you, expectations. They're different people. Right. When you claim to take the high road, you have to actually do it. Right. Right. Yeah. When you when you say for years, we're the people, we're the we're the group that are going to be, uh, you know, taking the high road. You you can't when the push comes to shove, just revert back to what. You know, the other team did. Right. Mm-hmm. You know. mm-hmm. So with that. um so yes, but still, let's continue talking about how right I was. If you want to yeah, right, to do that. No, um, we're, we're, we're done with that. Let's talk about how they're going to fundraise. Uh, uh, yeah, this. both sides are fundraising like crazy. Uh, the <laughs> other thing, what was I going to um, tell you? Uh, yeah, I, I really do feel like I've already got the uh, uh, Trump loss. We need to stop this socialism in the in midterm elections. Please donate to my campaign. That's it's already written. Well, They're listen, already printing those out. I'm not <laughs> sending them out. I'm not going to keep. I do. I keep lists. I'm petty like AOC, and I just want you to know if, in the process of doing analysis, mm-hmm. in the way that we do this show, Darla Galt. If you have told me or Reinhold that we have Trump derangement syndrome, for the next four years, I will be commenting on your things. You, I don't believe you. You have Biden derangement syndrome. And I'm never going to let you forget being a prick to me for the last four years. So I just need you guys to be prepared that in the process of trying to be accurate, despite it not suiting your bias— if you said we had Trump derangement syndrome, be prepared because I'm a petty bitch. Thank oh, you. Yeah. It's gonna be petty. I know, Darla. I'm just, I'm just teasing. I, I'm not serious. I, like, I believe, like, if you're on the left, man, you can't do what Trump supporters, including some of us on this program, did in 2016, which is gloat. I just like the moment demands not gloating. You know what I mean? Like the people on the right, like libertarians knew we were going to lose. Like we all just kind of like said, Harry, did you even vote? I don't vote. I just kind of just check a box for so my buddies can get ballot access. Gotcha. Okay. So like uh, libertarians are not emotionally invested into this outcome except for some of the wings of the different parties. But like there are a lot of people out there who – are well armed who don't need your gloating. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> who have who have a leader who is spreading fake news, who is try like who is a very dangerous personality in politics. Like, we don't need your gloating, please. Like, just behave yourselves. Like saying you're gonna have lists and you know, billboard material and gloating is just not welcome at this point. You know, like I'm sharing memes. I think memes are funny, but like mm-hmm. 
saying I'm going to say you have Biden derangement syndrome. It's coming from a place of love, Galt. Like, you know, please don't be an asshole. Like, respect the fact, and I'd say this if Trump had won, like, respect the fact that there are people who are way too overly invested in this stuff and their feelings are way too tied to it and just, like, don't poke the bear. Everybody be cool and let's just move on as a country and and try not to, to you know... I don't know about you guys, but like Hannah Cox said it best, basically like if I can't have liberty, we got a pretty decent outcome. You know, we have divided government. You know, we don't have Donald Trump at the top inflaming everybody with his bullshit. Command climate is a legitimate thing. So people I've seen a lot of right libertarians say like, oh, well, vote for the policies, not the man. Well, you can't separate the two, and most people don't. They can't separate the fact that there's this guy who is trying to make himself the lodestar of society, who wants everybody to talk to him about him all the time, and people are exhausted with it, and they, they, they you know, voted him out because of the climate that he creates and the way that he has given license to people that follow him. We talked about cl- command climate before in the military – when a unit gets a new leader, they adopt the personality of that new leader. And that's kind of happened. And people are just tired of that and they want to move on from it. And it doesn't, and I will say that people did vote for the policies of the man and not the personality because of what we saw in those congressional races earlier. And they rejected a lot of the things that Trump and Republicans talked about and libertarians too. We'll talk about that in a moment, but they there is no fraud here. It's just that people don't like this guy, and he ran a crappy campaign, which we have articulated through all of this, and the blame is squarely on him. Guys, if this race had been held in January, it would have been a blowout, in my opinion, because it it, it was very clearly trending that way. If he had handled COVID better or with at least some shred of respect for it, this would have been a blowout. If he had not campaigned in the wild, insane ways with the photo ops, the Bible upside down, and the first debate performance, this would have been a blowout. And if you're a Trump fan, you should be mad at the guy for running such a shitty campaign. Not mad at the press, not mad at all the, creating all these conspiracy theories. Just blame the guy who's responsible for once. And let's all move Just on. Like by bl- Yeah. Yeah, 2016. She, Hillary ran a crappy campaign. She ran a crappy campaign. That's such a good yes. point. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she ran a crappy campaign. She messed up, and Donald Trump messed up an easy win. Joe Biden was a demographically inconvenient candidate. Uh, he was the best candidate that the Democrats had to run against Donald Trump, but he was by no means inspiring to this population. And they certainly don't want the wokeism, you know, affirmative action getting kicked off, uh, the uh, losing on the ballot in California. I mean, this is a real, like, our, our buddy Ryan Lindsay is telling us that there is just misery in all his left book groups. Like, they've, it's a total rejection of both sides here. So, you know, centrism, moderation, that is really what people are after. They're, and that, that's why Joe Biden, in some respects, on policy, he's a nightmare. But on style and on, on command climate, He's going to be a cooler, hopefully, for a lot of this stuff. And he's he's very bipartisan. And he has to work with Mitch McConnell to get anything done because Republicans right. are saying we're not even going to let you install a cabinet 
unless you put in moderates. And so, like, instead of a flaming liberal, crazy Department of Education person that works for the teachers' unions, they're not going to get confirmed. They've got to put in somebody like a Merrick Garland if there's a court vacancy. So in terms of outcomes, the rejection of the both sides of, of the extreme, the gridlock that takes place, the moderation that comes from Joe Biden and a divided House and Senate, and the, the fight for generational power in both parties is going to paralyze the country for a while because AOC and the squad, now that that, sh- that shrank in the Republican Party, that, that they mm-hmm. won those seats. And by the way, those people who won in those uh, seats for the Republicans, they're not MAGA people. They're very, like, middle-of-the-road moderates. Mm-hmm. And so the, the squad is going to hold Nancy Pelosi hostage. Kamala Harris is going to get boxed out because she's too radical. Joe Biden has wanted to be president his entire life. He's worked his entire life for this. He's not going to let some ambitious people who are going to lose more House seats in 2024 mess this up for him. Like He is – the leftist takeover isn't going to happen because of the Senate and House results. So – and wokeism just got killed on the ballot. And it said very clearly, we don't want what you're offering. We don't want socialism. And so I, I will say this to my libertarian friends. Start listening to us centrists a little more. The Justin Amash path is the way. The Spike Cohen path is the way. Being over the top and trying to court one of the two sides is not going to work. People don't want that. What people want is the boot of the, of the government off their neck. They want respect for everybody. They want tolerance. They want multiculturalism. And they want low taxes. And they want to be left alone. And they right. so start explaining. And they don't want chaos either. They don't want chaos. They don't want shit posting. They don't want what a lot of these sides, what what the Mises and the Vermin sides are trying to bring to this table. They don't want that. They want thoughtful conversation. That's what we walked away with on Tuesday. It's a great time to be a libertarian because we have the right message. And and I will also say that I was right again. If the polls are way off, in the last episode I told you, if the polls are way off, let me just go back because I want to prove how right I was. Um, I mean, really, why don't people listen to this show? Because we're just so right all the time. Um, you know, in, in this, in the last episode, we talked about this chart uh, about lockdowns. And I, I will say that if, uh, you know, question two is, question one uh, was, can you handle four more years of Trump? Clear no. Question two is, can you afford more lockdowns? And who will lead the pandemic? Uh, And then you saw Iowa start to swing as the lockdown started to be talked about again, as as the COVID numbers started to move up. Again, back to the polling being wrong. They missed that snapshot in time as COVID started to become more evident. Uh, And, you know, uh, in the in the end here, uh, if Trump does win, I write, then it is due to anti-lockdown sentiments being wildly underpolled. It would be the destruction of the polling industry. And so that means that 
libertarians have the right message on lockdowns. Uh, Don Rainwater, who got 14% in this race, by the way, this poll uh, showed him at 14% in the race, which is where he's going. This poll was incredibly accurate about Hoosiers. That 14% is people who are pissed off at at lockdowns. Mm -hmm. The fact that Woody Myers got 26% in this poll and Biden got 40% in Indiana shows you that people don't want the Whitmer-style lockdowns of Woody Myers. They just don't want it. And so I had a ton of people that told me they're voting for Rainwater because he was he was pro-choice in terms of pandemic health, which is how we ought to talk yep. about it. Mm-hmm. And then I had liberal friends who told me that they voted for Rainwater because he was pro-marijuana legalization. So mm-hmm. freedom builds coalitions from all the way from my friend Miss Pat over to my Tea Party friends. And you can do that without insulting each other and, and without grinding people's face into uh, the, the tears politics is done. Like it's over. They don't, people don't want it. They want liberty. And you can build great coalitions by not being apologetic for it. And the results from the other day show that a respectful libertarianism is the path forward. It's what people want. Yep. And it's. It was, it was interesting also to get to when you when you went to work to hear everyone talk about, you know what, I voted for Rainwater, but I, I just couldn't. I just couldn't vote for Woody Myers. It's like, like I'm a lifelong Democrat, and if we lock down again, I will lose my business. Yeah. <laughs> and it, you know, just hearing people tell me like that, I, I can't do it. I was like, yes, there you go. <laughs> it's amazing, you know, to have that, be able to, that freedom of thought. Yeah. No. Again, everybody wants to everyone wants to give um the Libertarian Party candidate a bunch of crap, Joe Jorgensen, but there's really it's like we said last week, there's there's just so little that the a libertarian candidate can do in this climate. Right. Correct. I mean, until we get more people into the message, we get more people supporting it, we get more people talking about it, then we can see a more advancement. But she Correct. still outperformed um Gary Johnson in 2012. Yeah. So, yeah. So here, let's talk about Joe Jorgensen. Um, Yes. Chris Spangle, quote it, put it on T-shirts. The politics of tears are over. Make Uh, a meme out of it. Make a meme. Crying. Doesn't mean you, doesn't mean not being funny and not making fun of the other side. But like, I try to share stuff that like, like I shared this one that said, lower your uh, Trump truck flag to half mast. And I had a bunch mm-hmm. of Republican friends that shared it because they can laugh at it. Miss Pat shared one. I actually got shared by a famous rapper, Freddie Gibbs, I think his name was. Uh, he's got like 800,000 Instagram followers. Miss Pat shared uh, this meme that I showed. People better hurry up with these election results before Joe Biden forgets who's, what, he's, what he's winning. She <laughs> shared it. And that got shared by uh, a bunch of liberals. Like, try to... Try to, like, people enjoy, like, that. Did you guys see the uh, Trump ad for Hispanics, Trump poor Latinos? Mm-mm. Oh, my God. I got to show this to you. And it, I think it's a great example of politics. You can, you can make people think, and you can kind of show folks, uh, you know, a show folks where they're being wrong without kind of being insulting to them. 
Right. Uh, to be mean about it, yeah. Yeah, you don't have to be mean about it. Like, I think this is so funny. Like, this is a great example of a campaign kind of poking at stereotypes, and I guarantee that Latinos that watch this kind of laughed at the stereotypes about themselves uh, because it's done in kind of a fun, jestful way. I'm Donald Trump, and I approve this message. Uh, it's just sort of a funny ad, and anybody that any of my Hispanic friends all said that they they laugh so hard at it, you know. And that's sort of the the 2016 Trump that you miss is the mm-hmm. the 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 funny meme Trump, and that disappeared mm-hmm. into just a bitter, angry man in this past year. And I think that's a big reason why he lost. He lost that fun edge to him. And, the, and one thing I want to bring up real quick too, before we get back into the uh, Libertarian candidate. Um, so we talk about. Uh, hold on, let me finish. I will. I will get to. So, all right, let me set this up. Joe Jorgensen. A lot of people want to know what we think about how she did. What's your What's your take on the Joe Jorgensen campaign, Reinhold? Why Why did she underperform in your in your view? I don't believe she underperformed in a fear election where the media was so fixated on the election being about voting for or against Trump. That's a great point because a lot of the people who say that Joe Jorgensen did really poorly talk about how liberal the media is and they were desperate to get Donald Trump out. You know, and I I followed Gary Johnson's interviews in 2012 and 2016 and I bet Johnson in 12 had about 20 interviews a month because the press was so invested in helping. It was more than that. It was mm-hmm. five or six a day. Well, that was 2016. But in 2012, yeah, when he ran, they were helping. Oh, no. Yeah, 2012. Yeah, they were trying to help Barack Obama get reelected. And mm-hmm. then it was five or six a day in 2016 when they didn't care about Hillary Clinton. They were they were trying to help get Hillary elected by lowering Donald Trump's numbers. And they had Gary Johnson on all the time. And like what people need to understand about the structural aspect of an election is that name ID is the most significant contributing factor to achieve to getting votes, basically. And so because the press wouldn't interview Joe Jorgensen, she didn't get that lift. Not even Joe Rogan had her on and he voted for her, which I'll explain why I think that is in a moment. But this is a fear election and the press was devoted to pushing fear and the Libertarian Party always does poorer in a reelect year for a president. They always do poorer when the press won't play with them. You know, so is that the fault of the Jorgensen campaign? No, I'm sure that they tried really hard to get interviews. The other, the other part of not getting interviews is that uh, Bill Weld had a lot of media contacts and fundraising contacts, mm-hmm. and it helped that campaign raise more money and get more media interviews. Right. Take that for what it's worth. It's not an endorsement of Weld, but it was a reason that they were more successful than the Jorgensen campaign and and Bill, and Bob Barr. Right. Brandon, did you want to say anything? Um, well, I mean, if we're still, if we're, the point I was going to make a minute ago was that we talk about taking the high road for the Democrats and how the Democrats should and Biden should should be more. Um, try to try uniting the country again 
But let's also remember Trump spent four years talking about how mistreated he was and how this shouldn't happen to another president. And you shouldn't just, you know, question his his presidency and be mean to him and and, and everything else. Are these same people then going, who, who are supporting Trump and, and claiming this was happening, are they going to turn and go after Biden just the same way that the Democrats did? So I think on both sides of this, people need to step back and, and take a higher road and listen to what they were saying before and not be as hypocritical about it. Yeah, Christopher says, Weld's influence is easily seen when you remember that they actually had an hour-long scene in town hall where Joe was barely ever mentioned uh, on a, on all this election coverage on CNN, they're like, and Gary Johnson, and then they don't even show Joe on any of the stuff. They had a sixty minutes interview, uh, you know. So, th- th- listen, there, you know, uh, our our buddy Darla, who we we love and respect, and and thank them for being here, um, says, man, she's on the ballot in all fifty states. She should have done better than better. The BLM stuff killed her, and I just have to respectfully say, like. Nobody in my friend circle or my family circle knew who she was. Mm-hmm. Nobody in my friend or family circle asked about her, and it's because they didn't see her on interviews. Right. So a tweet from August is mm-hmm. not a contributing factor to why she was not getting attention. Right. I am not going to sit here and pretend that her weak messaging did not play a contributing factor, though. I had several fr- friends who are lean libertarian who were looking for an option look into her, and they just weren't inspired. We said that was going to be the case after the convention. You know, we said that, but, like, what was the choice, right? It's the same with Gary Johnson. What was the choice in 2016? What is the choice now? Was Hornberger, was John Mons, were they going to be better at getting media or be as uh, attractive to friends and family? Not in my opinion. And so when Amash dropped out, and remember when he announced he was on Meet the Press that weekend, uh, when Amash dropped out, it significantly hurt the ability for the party to to run. The, the Dave Smith crowd is totally right in that lockdown should have been the message, and Donald Rainwater proves it. Right. it. It should have been the message. It should have been the focus. It is the greatest intrusion of liberty on an interpersonal level. Anytime the government is that directly intervening in our lives— and people feel it and see it, then it's of a great concern to them. Uh, and I think people th- thought that it wasn't going to be as big of a deal. It's why it was never pulled. It's why it's not even – read anything in the mainstream press or the, the major media about uh, why this is going on. Nobody's talking about the effects of lockdowns on this election. And it's because they don't see it. They look at the opinion polls and they go, it's 90% approval. But what they don't get is that people lie to pollsters. They do. And they go, listen, I need to tell this person the right thing to say. And that is that I agree with lockdowns. But when you talk to your liberal friends, I don't have one that is for lockdowns. They just want other people to take this seriously so we can get it over with quicker and safer and have less people die. They're mm-hmm. willing to use government force at some point if other people will not behave themselves. And that's on the right for saying, I'm not going to do the right thing unless the government forces me to, which reinforces the point that the government is necessary. The right way is to 
actually read what's going on, see how it works, and do our best to try and stop the spread voluntarily. And that's all people are asking for on the left. They're not for these big lockdowns. And that was very clear in these election results. Yeah. Um, so the other thing with uh, Joe I that hurt the, to me, that helped the Joe Jorgensen campaign, is the um, dirty water from Weld. Uh because of the and the way that he kind of left the LP, nothing on him. It's just more of like the, the pushing, the pushing out. That had left a bad taste in everyone else's mouth, and like when dealing with anyone with the LP, it's like, like how how can I take you guys seriously when you guys took a serious candidate and kind of like pushed him away or pushed a guy away, and then you don't have these contexts, you know, just because I'm a friend of this person doesn't mean I'm going to help you out. My friend's gone; he's over here doing this thing now. Why would I want to help you? You AP has been Austin Peterson's been on a tear beating up on the Libertarian Party and uh, pulled some opinion poll, some exit poll of uh, defectors from Gary Johnson to Biden. And my first response was, oh, you trust the polls now. Uh, And then the second (laughs) one was, yeah, because there has been a four year steady campaign of fuck Gary Johnson. Mm hmm. And I have always maintained that if you if you do that, the people who get involved in the party here, fuck you, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Like, if I criticize Donald Trump, people who coalition with Donald Trump take it personally. They, they think that I'm talking about them. I think Donald Trump is a terrible person. But that does not mean that I think that people who vote for Trump are terrible people. And when you tell people that Gary Johnson's not a libertarian, he sucks, he's a piece of shit, he's running a terrible camp- campaign— you lose that person, and you ne- and Austin's response was, well, then they were never libertarian to begin with. And I go, which one of us was libertarian in our first year of being a libertarian? You know, which one of us, it, it takes a year or two, you know? And so the people, and I'm going to issue this warning now, if you're going to go on a four-year fuck Joe Jorgensen campaign you're hurting the results for the next time. You're hurting and driving away an interested customer base that wants to learn about libertarianism, and they're not going to learn about it, and they're just going to say, yeah, there was that one time I voted for the party, but, man, they're all crazy. They're all really vicious and mean and awful. It's already happening. If you if you look at what's going on in some of the uh, more uh, dark and dirty libertarian online stuff, uh, there are people who are going after the um, Jorgensen campaign and trying to just basically tear them a new one because they wanted Vermin Supreme instead. Right. Or they wanted someone else instead. And it's causing like there there are people right now who are ready to who are longtime activists who are ready just to walk away and say, I'm done with it. You you go into the Jorgensen 2020. Yeah. The 2020 Jorgensen campaign where you walk in and uh, it's like 50,000 people in that group. Like there are people who have never voted libertarian before. And they're going, I'm so excited. Can we get Joe Jorgensen to run again four years from now? I'm a woman. Mm -hmm. I've been inspired by her. Like Mm -hmm. that person is not going to stick around. If we spend four years crapping on Joe Jorgensen. Right. I, 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 she was, not my first choice. They they didn't have the right messaging. But even if they did, I don't think it would have made a damn bit of difference. What they did mm-hmm. do excellently, better than Gary Johnson and Bob Barr, who we begged to come to Indiana. Bob Barr refused to come to Indiana. 
Gary Johnson came to Indiana a couple times each time he ran. Mm-hmm. Uh, they 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 were focused on one or two states, or they were mm-hmm. focused on trying to get ballot access. They were not focused on down ballot candidates. Joe Jorgensen and Spike Cohen and their bus tour was the greatest thing I have ever seen for mm-hmm. down ballot candidates and party building in my time around the Libertarian Party. Uh, when mm-hmm. they came here with 400 people showed up, I can tell you the 400 people that showed up to that Joe Jorgensen rally didn't seem to give a crap about her BLM tweet in June or July or whenever it was. They were excited to be libertarians, and people are just gen- people are not as in deep in this stuff. They're not on the libertarian Facebook groups arguing the, the, the finer points of all this stuff. And when they see us arguing the finer points in a really ugly way, they just tune out and never come back. And so Jorgensen and Spike deserve a ton of credit because mm-hmm. I cannot tell you as somebody who has managed multiple dozens of campaigns, who has sat across from candidates the day after they lost going, my business is now bankrupt because I ran. My wife and her, or husband is about to leave me. My career is in shambles. My kids are angry at me because I've missed everything that they wanted me to go to for the last year. And I'm not saying this happened with them. I'm just saying I've seen it in dozens of people. It is so hard to run for office. It is incredibly difficult, and it is a big sacrifice that Joe and Spike made for this party. And Dan Smotes deserves a ton of credit because Spike's YouTube channel and the material they gave us to spread the libertarian message was fantastic. There are a lot of really good things about this campaign. And so just blanket crapping on the Libertarian Party, in my mind, is like a comedian walking up and doing airline food. It's hacky. It's low IQ. It's easy, low-hanging fruit. And if you want to do that, fine. But everybody else who knows anything about what's going on thinks you're a hack if you're doing that material for the next four years. Yep. Yep. Especially here in Indiana, especially with rainwater. It is the... If Rainwater actually goes through and runs again here in Indiana, like the worst thing any person in the libertarian movement can do in Indiana is just crap on Rainwater. He did this bad, did this bad, right. because there was a lot of disaffected Republicans that, that want something more from Rainwater uh, and want something more from Holcomb that they're not getting, and they can see it in Rainwater. So crapping on them, it's, it's terrible. You actually have them have them in the conversation, you know, especially, especially if Holcomb locks us, locks us down again here in Indiana. You know, it's it just goes to show you. See, he said yeah. he wouldn't. People, he did it. people he are disaffected by that. And they're like, you need to just get it done. And I, I, I looked at this guy and I go, Jeff, do you think they're not doing everything possible? The rainwater campaign in Indiana had two hundred fifty, three hundred thousand dollars. They had 14 volunteer tier staffers. They had mm-hmm. Sam Goldstein running it, who has been in the party for 30 years, has been on the statewide ballot multiple times, has been state mm-hmm. chair, has been on the LNC. Uh, you had Mark Rutherford working on the campaign, who is national uh, uh, vice chair, who has these deep connections that help secure some of that funding. Mm-hmm. You had 10,000 yard signs. You had television ads. You had radio ads. Mm-hmm. They left it all on the field. And at right. a certain point, the structure of the ballot access laws with straight ticket voting come into play. Right. At some point, Joe Jorgensen ran into structural problems that no campaign can overcome and people can choose to ignore reality and just be mad because they want to be mad and say things that play well to the base. Uh, but it's not reality. And let's just be fair. Let's be honest. 
and let's just say where it went right and where it went wrong and pick that apart in a respectful way and not damage the next candidate's ability, be it Jacob Hornberger or Justin Amash or Spike Cohen or Joe again or whomever. All we're going to do if we create this same toxic environment that we've had for the past four years is have the people who were an interested block in libertarianism flee back to the old two parties because we're the problem. We're the bad messengers. We're the bad salesmen. It's like being a salesman, having somebody walk into your store and go, listen, you fucking piece of shit. You're going to buy my project or you're not. And if you don't, you're a dumb fuck. Well, that's not going to close the sale now, is it? Yeah, you can complain all you want to about Jorgensen's messaging being weak, but when libertarianism is being represented by some of the extreme crazies that we have on the fringes of our party, they're the ones getting all the attention. That's what people see, and that's what they associate with it. We need better people standing up and not being crazy on uh, in public social media, marketing, going out and doing the work as opposed to just slagging off the the LP candidate with their Twitter accounts or their YouTube content just to get likes or just to get just get people to come to their uh, give them money for for their books, you know, or their merchandise. It's um, it's terrible. Malice making fun of the Darla our friend again, making fun of the Libertarian Party and Joe Jorgensen Spike Cohn will never not be funny. It's not and I expect better from Malice because I think he's a brilliant human being. I think he's one of the best writers working today, a great journalist. He's incredibly funny. I've never laughed harder than his Ron Paul Stroke stuff. Great day on Twitter for Malice. It's just hacky. It's not, it does nothing to help the movement in any way, but I don't think that's what he's interested in. You know, so, himself. And that's fine. Right. Listen, everybody's got their own thing. They, none of everybody has to be an LP fan. Austin Peterson has his reasons for not wanting to be in the LP. Dave Smith said to me on our, on our interview, uh, you know, I've never taken shit for being a libertarian until I got involved in the libertarian party. There are aspects about it that is horrible. So I'm not going to fault people for it. But I, I will say, like, uh, my new, my new uh, thing is just trying to be more like, uh, like uh, Ronald Reagan's 11th commandment, thou shalt not speak ill of a Republican. You know, I, I'll critique where necessary, but, you know, if I'm going to, I'm not, I'm, I'm just going to, my standard now is like, I'd say it to your face. You know what I mean? And, uh, and I, let's just try to all take that for what it would. Uh, Malice would say he's not above it. No, and that's why we love Michael Malice. Um, okay, so let's talk about the future. Oh, I will also say about the Jorgensen stuff. The fact that she's the second highest vote getter in Libertarian Party history and it has beat the Clark days when one of the Koch brothers ran on the ticket and funded in 1980 this massive win. The, the fact that she got that second highest thing tells you that the structure of the base of the party is growing, that you can have a candidate that's nowhere, a candidate that's not inspiring, and a candidate that doesn't have the right message manages to get second and is a really good sign. Except... Go ahead. What happened after that 1980 election? The the party tore itself apart. Mm-hmm. Um, so my point is is that the the presidential race is a marketing race. Don't focus on it. Focus on your local your local party because mm-hmm. 
You're never going to win president or a statewide race unless you have a good ground game. When you have a good ground game, like the Donald Rainwater campaign, you can get 14 13% in a statewide election with straight ticket voting. Now imagine if you have people who are excited to volunteer for the local party in numbers, and it's, it's all bottom-up. It's all base-up. It's just like reforming the media, bottom-up. Support people like us, like other independent broadcasters. That's how you change it, bottom-up. And remember, we're getting well, – there's several states that the Joe Jorgensen covered the spread between Biden and Trump. And that has got a lot of people angry, mm-hmm. which is good because they need to start paying attention to the fact that there are people out there who aren't willing to vote for their two candidates that want to be listened to. And the more we can do that, the more we can push that – out there and say, look, you're missing out. You could have won if you had paid attention to our concerns and we would have voted for you. And therefore you would have, you know, covered that spread, got, got over that and got that win. That's that messaging. That's starting to, I think finally kick into some of the establishment parties. They're seeing those numbers. They're mad at it. They're yelling about it. They're cussing us out, which is, great i love it because i think that shows that we are actually having an impact steven miller no not that one says we need to have a stronger more focused message um here's the thing uh the people who say this tend to come from the right in the republican party and i used to think this too and when you come from the republican party you have left a party that has forever had a strong top-down message Republicans are very top down in organization and in just sign and central power. Democrats are more of a coalition. And so you've got the the Latino groups and you've got the the black groups, you've got the socialist groups, you've got the Biden centrist groups. You've got you've got a coalition of different people with different interests that cobble together the Democratic Party. And It's a mistake to think that the Libertarian Party can ever or will ever be like the Republican Party in having a top-down message. You, people like Nick Sarwark, Dave Smith, Chris Spangle, Reinhold, Ryan Lindsay, Brian Nichols, Remzo Martinez, look at We Are Libertarians. You got Remzo voting for Trump. You got Ryan voting for Biden. You've got the rest of us voting for Jorgensen. You know, you've got... Me in the center, you've got Harry as an anarchist, you've got Trish Stewart, uh, man, as an anarchist, you've got Reinhold with whatever the fuck he is. So the TDS caucus, um, you know, you there are different strains of libertarianism and you will never get them to agree. It's a coalition party. And so therefore we have to coexist somewhat and stop fighting and just sort of like respect the fact that like, Everybody agrees in non-aggression and just agree that the non-aggression principle is the fundamental definition of being a libertarian. And everybody else is going to kind of have different sensibilities and interpretations. You know, if you want to go work for Young Americans and Liberty for the, through the Republican Party, go for it. If you want to be a Libertarian Party person, go for it. I'm not going to crap on your efforts because you're both doing good work. And there never seems to be an agreement on that. You know, like I'm friends with Austin Peterson and I'm friends with all the people he fights with on Twitter. <laughs> I like Elizabeth Nolan Brown. I like 
all of these different people because they all bring a different perspective. And we all coalition together for the presidential candidate and for libertarian party races for the most part. Um, trying to divide ourselves into these factions and start wars, you're never going to get a cohesive message doing it that way. You're never going to get a cohesive message. And this has been my, my, my criticism of some people is that we can't have a cohesive message if there's a fight and there's the same people in the fight all the time, right? Like if you're being divisive and you're poking each other all the time, there is no central message. It will never happen. You will not. The only solution is to get people talking to each other and find the mm -hmm. points of agreement. And then that becomes the message. So everybody who talks about messaging is doing it the exact wrong way. And it is possible to have some points of agreement. It's just that, most people in this movement don't want to lay down their pride and have those conversations and talk with people. Um, but at the end of the day, you're probably not going to get culturally right people and culturally left people to agree on some of these finer points. And you just have to say, I'm going to let this go for the good of the movement and the coalition so we can affect liberty in our lifetimes. That's when you're going to get it. But everything we're doing right now is not working. Let's see, also have, hold on. You know, uh, you've got a like it starts the second you get into you get into this stuff. Uh, you know, if Thomas Massey, but the end comes Ew, Elizabeth Nolan Brown, Austin Peterson. It's just like. Grow up other people. You're just mad that they exist, like the people that fight on our Facebook about Ryan. You're just mad. You have to see somebody that you don't agree with in your Facebook feed. You need to see it. You need people pushing you. Ryan and Brian yeah. Nichols fight all the time, mm -hmm. and it makes them smarter and better. The right. reason this program is so vastly different than other libertarian podcasts is because we have 20 different libertarians in a group that push each other. Brian Nichols comes in and starts you know, going full Jeffrey Tucker on lockdowns, and then everybody else in the room has to has to – Come back and, and, you know, everybody's going at Reinhold. They're going at me. They're going at Ryan Lindsay. That, that back and forth between differing points of opinion keep you grounded. And if you don't have that, you're going to go way too far off into a polarization. And you don't want that. You want, you want that coalitional tension to keep yourself grounded. Go ahead, Reinhold. Well, I think you have to focus on the central thing too so it's, i always take a look at it like christianity where you you have a basic christian belief that you believe this you were a christian but there are so many different types of christians because they all interpret that a little bit differently they're still adhering to that core central tenet so they're all still christians but the protestants and the catholics and the you know seventh day adventists and all the different types of things that you have going on out there um they all still agree on that central point. Yeah. Right? So yeah. if you can agree on that central point and say, okay, that's the message we need to be having out there, or we need just to make sure that we're getting that basic idea across that basic tenet across and then let people interpret what that means to them and their views on their own, they will come to it. They will think one way. They might think something a couple months later, they may hear, uh, somebody say something they don't like uh, or didn't think about, and it changes their views. So having that 
conversation and having that those differences, you could develop a much stronger grouping of people than you could if you were just trying to say, I only think Pentecostals are, are accurate or Episcopalians, that's it. And the rest of them aren't real Christians. The, or the Catholics <laughs> say, you know, they're not real Christians. It, it's the same kind of thing. Yeah, this this Facebook user says there is a liberty message in every voter, whether it's economic or social. It's there, and that's true. That's why you need people from different perspectives. And uh, this person says Elizabeth Nolan Brown called all Ron Paul supporters racist. Stop pretending she said this. She didn't say it. She didn't say all Ron Paul supporters were racist. She didn't say all. And let's not pretend that there aren't some because there are. There are problems within the movement when it comes to race. Mm -hmm. it, it goes back to what I said about Trump. If you criticize a person like Ron Paul or if you criticize Donald Trump or you criticize Joe Biden, you have to not internalize the criticism of the individual that is being talked about as if they're talking about you. So, you know, and I guarantee that if you sat down with Elizabeth Nolan Brown, then you two would probably get along. You know, the, the, this person and comms want to use aggression to accomplish what they want. Sit down with an anarcho-communist. I guarantee that the majority of them, like, I don't know if Ryan's an ANCOM, he's more of a progressive libertarian, like, his fundamental starting point is, I'm not going to use the aggression of the state to achieve what I believe is the right thing. I just mm -hmm. would prefer to talk about the marginalized, the underprivileged. I would talk, I, you know, there's, there's nothing unlibertarian about that. It's just that you right. don't like it culturally, and that's not a valid reason yeah. not to engage in somebody or, or say they're not libertarian, Harry. Yeah. And doing so helps the next campaign out when you do all this, because Joe Jorgensen probably had to dig through a, a debt hole of the eight year of the four years of, of Gary Johnson bashing. Mm -hmm. So she started at a negative number and had to work her way back from that. And it's, so I think she did a great job because of that, because of what she did to Gary Johnson and, uh, what happened to Gary Johnson? It's because knowing like this could happen to you when you lose, you know, <laughs> these people are going to denigrate you and destroy you. Why you even want to run and do this? You know, it's, you know, half the reason why I like was impressed with um, Vermin Supreme going at it because it's like, he, you know, when he lost, if he was going to lose, he could take those arrows and just deflect them right back because he's used yeah. to doing it. All right. Final point that we'll be uh, quick on because we got to end. Um, mm -hmm. CNN apparently just called it for Joe Biden. What? So it sounds like Joe Biden is the uh, next president. Um, will Donald Trump go? Will he go peacefully? Mm -hmm. um, my opinion is yes, Donald Trump will go peacefully. He will never concede. He will never accept the results of the election. He didn't accept the results of his last election. Uh, but at, the, at at his core, he's not going to do – he's going to continue the grievance and roll it into a TV channel. He's already floating the idea. It's what he wanted to do in 2016 was start with Roger Ailes, a Fox News competitor. There's very little leaking out of the White House, which is a very leaky White House, which is why we know so much about what goes on there. Um, and there is uh, – Donald Trump – is a petty person. He, he will never accept the results of the election, but he's not a fool. <laughs> so he's not going to let himself get drug out of the White House by a team of security or the military. Like, he's not that guy. 
but he is going to keep the petty grievance alive and roll it into that TV and take on Fox News and bring Tucker and Hannity with him and you know pay them a ton of money and uh, be a Fox News competitor. That the leaks that I mentioned are like. He's just focused on Fox News calling Arizona. So Arizona was called by the Fox News decision desk uh, 10 o'clock-ish as going for Joe Biden. And apparently it just deflated the party at the White House that was exuberant at that point. And they said that uh, he's just he's obsessed with that. And there's like, like, I don't buy it because it didn't affect any votes. It was hours after the polls closed, so, like, who cares? But he apparently just can't handle that Fox News betrayed him, and uh, they're leaking that Fox News is this great turncoat, and I think it's because they're going to turn it into a TV network. So Donald Trump is never going away. Trumpism is never going away. It's not going to be the... It's going to be the predominant power base in the party for a bit, but there was some polling for 2024 that showed Mike Pence with 30%, uh... Don Jr. with 20%, uh, you know, so uh, then the next one was like 8%, and I think it was like, I don't know, Chris Christie or Tom Cotton or somebody like that. And so does Donald Trump run again in four years? Maybe. He may do, he, he may do a Ron Paul report style thing, which honestly, it's going to be awesome. Donald Trump is going to shitpost the State of the Union live. He's going to be anchoring every major news event. It's going to be fantastic. Breaking news. Uh, Jared and Ivanka. <laughs> like he's, it, it, imagine him just sitting here nodding at somebody as they're talking like this. And they're giving facts, and then he's like, you know I like burritos, right? As they're talking about the Latino vote. Uh, that's what he's going to do. But Donald Trump will never take himself out of the news and the media will never let it go because he's the air that they breathe. He's the money that they make. And Obama got Obama was beloved by the press. And even when they had the Senate in the house, it was those evil Republicans that wouldn't let them perfect society. They were stymied everything. It's why everybody on the left hates Mitch McConnell because of that era, because public Mm -hmm. opinion means more than real power anymore. And so it's just going to be four years of Donald Trump said this, Donald Trump said that, and we need to ignore it. And we need to just walk away from it, walk away from this addiction of what he said. We're all going to fall prey to it. And he's going to get even more ridiculous because once you've taken the guardrails of the office off of him, that check and balance is gone and he no longer has to be decent. He's going to float more and more and more to ridiculous Alex Jones like places. And you just have to be prepared for that. And so don't go with them because they're going to (laughs) stupid places that don't end in liberty. Uh, But Donald Trump, his power, a movement built on power and popularity starts to shrink rapidly and it gets ugly when they no longer have power, no longer have popularity. So we're talking about what do you think is the next step for Donald Trump? Go ahead, Reinhold. I think it's going to be hiring lawyers to defend themselves against uh, a bunch of things that are going to be coming his way, not necessarily all federal, but a lot of state and a lot of, um, I mean, he's got $400 million in debt coming due as soon mm-hmm. as he steps out of that office. He's got uh, states that have been trying to indict him on certain things that they can't do while he's in office. So mm-hmm. I think he's going to have some fun playing there. Um, 
but yeah, I agree. He's just going to go out and try to, he's going to do what he did leading up to the 20, 2016 election. He's going to try and just tear apart whoever's in office at the time. He's going to go after Biden. He's not going to stop. He's going to be, uh, it's just going to be a constant barrage of weird, crazy conspiracy theories that he's been throwing out there for years already. Right. He's going to keep doing it. Uh, the, the best part, though, is that I can ignore it now <laughs> if he's not in office. I don't have to pay attention to it anymore because it won't matter. Yeah, uh, it's it, it's exactly right. It doesn't matter. Move on with our lives uh, and, and get it going, you know, and try to reel in your Biden derangement disorder. That's all I'm going to say. You're you're what do you call it, Harry? It's uh, called the bad Biden anxiety disorder. The bad. He's going to have it bad. Everyone's going to have it bad. Okay. So the Biden anxiety disorder. So I like it's different. It's it's better. You know, you heard from here. Uh, My thing with uh, Trump, I think you're right. He's going to fight those lawsuits and he's going to. But I feel like he's going to crave political power again. So the nightmare scenario is that he decides on a state and becomes a senator. (laughs) <laughs> yep, and then we have to de- he and he gets in the Senate, and he we won't be able to get it, you won't be able to get him out, and the and the other nightmare scenario is the Trump filibuster. Mm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Hearing the Trump filibuster just be the worst, but hilarious the exact same time. Um, but yeah, I but that's I think he's going to if he survives all these court battles. You're right that uh, he gets done with. He's going to crave political power again and i don't know if he'll go for presidency again because you know he, he realized that's a bad move so he might go for like a local election or just a senate seat or you know, but there's something else can. to consider too is that he's gonna be near 80 when you know the next election comes around he's, yeah his health yeah. isn't the best despite what he says Full there's conservatives there i don't I think the stress of the presidency plus what's going to happen to him after might just put him in a position where he's like, you know what? I'm good. I'm just going to go retire and mm-hmm. stop because yep. I, I, I'm, I'm, I can't do it anymore. He's, he's going to be exhausted. So um, mm-hmm. you see that with every president's ever, ever been in office, how they age mm-hmm. during the time that they're in there. I mean, it's just <laughs> going to tear up. That's why everybody's worried about Biden. You know, what's yep. this going to do? Four years going to do to him if he lasts four years? Yeah. Right. Nancy Pelosi still wants to be uh, Speaker of the House. She's she's eighty. She, she's she's not going mm-hmm. to. I get that she's politically savvy and and really good at that, but there are other people in the party who can do that too. She's toxic. Her name is toxic, whether it's her fault or not. She she's just going to be a lightning rod for all the attention. For people, for the disaffected Republicans who want to get back control of the House, she needs to step aside and let somebody else better come in and take over that position. Really against her trying to run for it again. Right. I just want to so, say that now that Joe but, Biden is president elect, he is the worst president of my lifetime. Oh, did they announce her? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, CNN announced that Trump is, uh, yeah. has lost. NBC yeah, has called is. it. Okay. Um. Yeah, Trump TV. Breaking will, news. Trump TV will be on channel six six six. All right. Final thoughts, everybody. Uh, Harry, you go first. 
All right. So going back to that point with uh, Ryan Hull and Nancy Pelosi, I think what Biden will the one thing he can do these next four years is try to build moderates and grow internal moderates inside the Democratic Party. Obama, Hillary and Nancy Pelosi, a lot of and their their ilk has gutted that that party of moderates and everyone else. So they really don't have that many internal people to build up. They have just beaten down all those people. So in order to survive, they have to build people up from internal because the fringes, they'll build themselves up and they have no one to attack them right now, really. Mm -hmm. So I see him doing this. If he does not do that these four years, it's just, it's just ego at that point. And hopefully he won't do that. Um, The other thing I wanted to bring up is I think the real thing that, uh, that Trump's campaign with the uh, or Trump period did to lose his election was he ran a bad campaign and the a- Amy Coney Barrett thinks because a lot of tr- Trump's a lot of Republicans did not have to hold their nose to vote for Trump to get a judge this time around again. It's like, wow, we've got Amy. I don't have to vote for him now. We've got three judges. I'm good. I'm golden. Screw this guy. Let's get rid of this idiot. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, and the, the thing is, it's like, and it's kind of neat now because I've always like seen Trump ask just like Andrew Jackson. So now he gets to be just like Andrew Jackson, this president that sits over here that everyone hates and blames everything for. It's going to be neat. It's going to be neat. So yeah. That's my final thoughts. Reinhold? Uh, final thoughts, I have three. So the first one is the Democrats are going to have to really reexamine what they're doing because – yeah. They are really – they have this golden opportunity that they're completely missing sight of where they could start normalizing a lot of the things that people want in the country without trying to push things that people don't want, right? So they they could really come out and become a much more centrist party and blunt all of this accusations of Marxism taking over Western culture and socialism and blah, 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 that, all that stuff, which they're never going to implement anyway, because they're never going to be able to implement in this country, but they keep talking about it. And it's just, you stop, be, be the Democrats that you could be and get things, you know, accomplished it, and it, you will find your, your power increasing. The Republicans, on the other hand, they have to reexamine what they've been doing their party is going to fall apart without Trump at the, you know, or do they keep him as the central focus of the party? Are they going to continue down his, his path or do they reject that and go back to try to become the, the constitutional conservatives that they were saying they, they wanted to be before Trump, right? They, they've completely hurt themselves on the debt. They can never say anything about the debt again, just like the left can't say anything about anti-war again. I'm never going to let either of those sides get away with it. Um, they, they've shown that they're willing to throw everything that they said that they believed in away in order for, for political power, and they're going to have a hard time coming back from that. Yeah, is there, and, and, how big do you think the landslide would have been for Trump if Bernie Sanders had been – the nominee. Oh, it, Trump would have won out because because as much as you because like I was trying to say before, when when Biden was nominated, he blunted a lot of the attacks that that Trump had. But if a socialist, like an actual, say I'm a socialist, standing up there saying it, was running, all that stuff would have been harder hitting. All that stuff would have landed much much easier, and I think Trump would have won. 
Right. Yeah, I think that both sides really need to look at where they've been headed. You you see the generational shift. Uh, obviously, Texas is not going blue anytime soon. But the the, the reality is that the, the future is not with either one of these parties and what they're selling. You know, and this is a great opportunity for libertarians to see where we're at and start really drilling down on our message and uh, just working hard to give people what they want and convince them that we can do the job. And that requires not following Trumpism into his crazy Alex Jones territory. Uh, and it's, I cannot stress how important that is. Like the conspiracy theory stuff. Like I remember, do you guys remember Harry? Like when you were on Facebook five years ago, eight years ago, if you shared an Infowars link on Facebook, the ass whooping that you took in the comment section Right. It was just like, I can't believe you did this. Da, 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 da. Here's this video. Da, 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 da. Discredit this. Discredit that. Yes. Yes. The problem was always going to take care of itself, but right. Democrats don't get that. And so they started having Facebook censor. And now everybody's freaking Alex Jones. Like I, I saw two uh, columnists for a major newspaper going back and forth talking about voter fraud conspiracies as if it was just a total fact. I, when 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 you separate the media, when the left pushed the right out of me, out of newsrooms, they segregated them over to their own place. It drove with the with the coalitional instinct and polarization. It drove them so far to the right that they've lost their way. So the left does bear some responsibility. Th- these journalists uh, mm-hmm. bear some responsibility for some of that stuff. But it's on you to use your brain. It's on journalists on the right wing to not buy every Trumpism, everything that helps your team, you know, take a, take a critical look on the laptops, take a critical look at the Hunter Biden stuff, take a critical look at the voter fraud stuff. Like, you know, just because everybody else has lost their mind, it doesn't mean you need to. Um, that's what this centrism is the way. That's why I do think there will be probably an Amash Gabbard ticket or an Amash Spike Cone ticket in four years. I think Justin Amash has the right sensibilities combined with the right policies to mm-hmm. and the right credentials to appeal to a broad spectrum of Americans. And, and it's right going to be the right messaging, incredibly smart, good character. Uh, mm-hmm. So let's not mess it up. Uh, any more, yeah. Reinhold? Let's not chase him out of the party with, with our conversation, you know, yeah. all our infighting like we, we have been doing. But the third point is that I am going to have to go out and get a um, a new USB cable because apparently mine has been decided this morning to stop ah. working half the time. So I apologize for <laughs> all of that. That's okay. So. All right. Uh, I just want to thank everybody for listening. I'd love if you've listened this far, then you are a true fan. Please go to chrisspengel.com. Check out my near daily column that I'm writing there. Uh, please join. If you are a Patreon member, then you get a lifetime subscription to that website. Um, but I am there, there is a lot of what's in this show. You get days before before because I'm writing it out, thinking about what we're going to talk about here. And a lot of other stuff. That's chrisspangle.com. And you can sign up for uh, my newsletter there. Or you can uh, join us on the We Are Libertarians Patreon. That helps even more and helps support the entire network. Thank you, guys. Appreciate it. If you found this interesting, if you found it helped, please share with your friends. That's the greatest thing you can do. And until then, we'll see you next time.